Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show. We talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, Please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes will be coming out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by The Pocket AT. Ever want to have your health-related questions answered whenever you have them? Look no further than The Pocket AT. It is like having an athletic therapist with you 24-7. It's a free informational hub that provides you everything you need to know about your health, including rehabilitative exercises, advanced sports-specific exercises, proper ways to stretch and foam roll, mobility exercises, nutrition, and a bi-weekly blog that discusses the most commonly asked questions to practitioners. Check out their content on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at The Pocket AT, and on their website at pocketat.com. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 3 of the podcast. Today's guest is Emily Ling, formerly Emily Schaefer. Emily is a retired wrestler who once wrestled for Team Canada. She has wrestled for Sarnia Northern High School, Brock University, and retired from wrestling after the 2019 Canadian Wrestling Olympic Trials. Her list of accomplishments include four offset championships, four national championships in high school, one Canada Summer Games championship, a five-time provincial champion in university, four youth sports championships, 2018-2019 Brock Athlete of the Year, 2018 World Cup team member, and a Commonwealth Games bronze medal in 2018. She completed her concurrent education degree at Brock University. Here is my interview with Emily Ling. Emily, thanks for coming on the show today. Really excited to hear your journey into becoming a national team wrestler. So the first question is going to be how you got to the national team. What are some events or people that were involved in getting you there as you made your way to the national squad? Yeah, great questions. Um, thanks so much, first of all, for having me. Uh, really excited to my first podcast. <laughs> I think that's a really a nostalgic question for me right now because I just recently retired. So thinking back on my career as a wrestler and how it all started and how it came to be, it's still kind of crazy to me. I don't think if you would have asked me 10 years ago if this would have been the life that I would have lived, it would never cross my mind. So Pretty cool to think about at this point. I started wrestling in grade nine. I needed a winter sport to do at high school. And my brothers, my two older brothers, had both tried wrestling. So I decided to give it a shot. Growing up with three brothers, I could kind of do, I thought, whatever my brothers could do. And so I joined the team and was pretty successful my first year. I won offset and then made the national team. So I kind of figured that I should stick with this sport. And in the meantime, I also just fell in love with it. So I decided to continue with it. I think from there, it kind of progressed of just getting more involved with the sport, more involved with some provincial and international stuff that allowed me to develop my skills as a wrestler and my confidence as being an athlete. I'd always been kind of someone who liked sports, and this one just kind of seemed to fit well with my personality and with my the kind of athlete I was, the kind of person I was, so I decided to stick with it. Throughout high school, I had some really great coaches that helped me um, from my own high school team to club coaches. And what's cool about Sarnia, where I'm from, is it's a pretty tight-knit community. 
especially in the wrestling world. So any coach from any school would be a coach that had an impact on my wrestling career. And all of them at some point or another would coach me at tournaments and bring me on trips and uh, allow me to just really develop my skills and gain more experience. So that was a huge part of getting me started in wrestling. And then just having like huge support from my family and my parents and even my brothers of me being like the only girl. I'm probably sure my mom didn't want me to be a wrestler, but <laughs> that's what she got. And she was so supportive. She would come to all my tournaments, even all throughout university and braid my hair and make sure I had all the food I needed to stay fueled up throughout the day. So, so many people I could list that were instrumental in my journey, I guess. I think my wrestling really took to the next level, though allowed me to get to being a national team member when I went to university. So I went to Brock University in St. Catharines, Ontario, and I chose that school largely because of their wrestling team. I remember in high school going up and training with them just out of a recruitment trip, and I felt that my wrestling got better just from a few practices with them, which was pretty cool. And the coaches there were not exactly what I was used to. Um, my coaches in Sarnia were pretty chill people, really relaxed, and just, we wanted to have a good time and get better. But at Brock, it was like there was this intensity that I hadn't seen before, something that I could feel inside of me but didn't really have an environment of. And then they also just had high expectations for every athlete that steps into the room. And you could kind of feel like even someone coming in on a recruitment trip that that's the place that I wanted to be to develop my wrestling. And it just worked out really well. They had the program I wanted, and they were able to uh, give me some scholarships that allowed me to kind of focus more on wrestling and as well as get through what I wanted to do with uh, education. So going to Brock was a huge part of being able to develop those skills. And I remember stepping into the room, and all my coaches seemed to, they could see like this potential in me that I didn't realize was even possible. Like they would be able to see where I could be within one year, two years, five years and things that I never even dreamed being possible. Like I didn't think I was going to be a senior team member um, at any point. I didn't think I would win another national title, let alone win a couple of OUA and U sports titles. So those were unexpected things to me, but they saw that in me and they were willing and able to put in the work and give me the tools that I needed to be successful. So my coaches all along the way, I would say, have been so huge in helping me to earn my success. And then I guess the last thing would just be having really good training partners. In high school, I would go to whatever school I needed to to get good training partners, whether it was taking advantage of trips and camps and things like that. And then, so I have this coach, Jenny Kaya, and she came in and she was about my size. So she would train with me in grade 11 and 12 and really help me get to the next level as well. And then coming into Brock, there's Olympians, there's world medalists, there's people that have won youth sports multiple times, and those are the people I got to train with every day, so they really helped elevate my wrestling as well. And so it was just like being in an environment every day, 365 days a year almost, of just people that all had the same goal and wanted to work together to achieve it. So those are all huge parts of my wrestling and being able to get to the level I got to. Emily, you mentioned your start of your journey in high school starting out in grade nine as a freshman. So was there an aha moment at that time or around around high school where you're like, this is the sport for me. I don't want to do other sports. I kind of want to focus on this. Was there something that maybe triggered that? Yeah, I think that first off the championships, off the championships for people that are from Ontario is our high school provincial championships. 
So it was like the biggest tournament I had been to to date. There was over 32 people in a bracket, which is a pretty huge bracket when you come to it as a rookie wrestler. And coming in in grade nine, I kind of thought, I'm grade nine, I'm a rookie, not that experienced. I'm just going to come here, have some fun, see what happens. And the night before the tournament, it's actually a funny story. I was with my mom and my coaches and teammates and I had this really gross salad that I got at the restaurant and I didn't want to eat it. And my coach looked at me and he said, if you eat that salad, the entire thing, I guarantee you an offset. I was like, coach, there's no way. Like, that's not going to happen. First of all, I'm grade nine. I can't win offset. Not a chance. Second of all, the salad is gross. <laughs> He's like, no, I guarantee it. So I said to him, okay, I'm going to eat the whole salad, but just so that when I, in two days, don't win an offset title, I can blame it on you. Just jokingly, of course. And he was like, all right, that's fair. So I ate the salad. And two days later, I stepped on top of the podium and I said to him, I was like, I guess I can't blame you for losing because turns out you were right. <laughs> so that's a pretty funny story. And then after that, just as a joke, I'd always kind of have a salad before big tournaments. <laughs> but I remember the semifinal match in that tournament. We were in the warm-up area, and every kind of person that was up soon would be in the warm-up area. And I could hear the person who was on the other side of the bracket in the semifinal match. She was talking to her coaches about how she was super excited to wrestle the girl that I was about to wrestle in the finals. So basically assuming I was going to lose. Which, in like hindsight, I mean, probably a pretty good assumption because it was a grade 13 girl I was against that had many years of offset medals, and I was a grade 9 rookie. But I looked at my coaches and I was like, why does she think that I'm going to lose? Like, why can't I win this? <laughs> I went out there and to date, it's one of my favorite matches to think about and one of the hardest matches. I came off afterwards and said to my mom, I was like, that is harder than the 10K race I ran last summer. <laughs> just like realizing how much exertion wrestling can have. But it was just so much fun. Such like an, a moment of realizing that I, I could do this. I could be a great wrestler. Not necessarily because I at that point had the skill set, but because I realized it was possible. Like I learned to have this mindset of why not me? Someone has to win these titles. Someone has to win these championships. Why can't it be me? And at that point, then if you go into a tournament and you win it, then, well, then it was you. And if you didn't win it, then, well, I guess it wasn't your time. <laughs> and you got to go back to the drawing board. But I feel like it was just a good mindset to have because you give yourself a chance instead of so many times it's so easy to kind of count yourself out of winning championships. And I like that mindset. I didn't always have that mindset even continuing on. But when I could come back to that, it was usually when I was more successful. It's pretty cool that you have a little bit of a mantra that you say to yourself before matches. And I'm sure there are definitely probably people that helped you along the way as well. So would, the, would you say there was one specific person that guided you and helped you along the way? I know you mentioned some coaches earlier, but maybe there was a teammate or someone else that was uh, a guiding force in your journey as well. I think if I look back specifically on the past six years, the person that made the biggest difference in my wrestling, and maybe even in my life, <laughs> is one of my teammates, Olivia DeBacco. She is four years older than me, and when I came into university, she was in her fourth year, so maybe three years, no, four years older than me. So she was in her fourth year, I was in my first year, and I kind of saw on the back of her shirt when we were at practice warming up, I knew nothing about her. She had a Bible verse on the back of her shirt, and so after practice, I said to her, I was like, hey, I noticed you have a Bible verse on the back of your shirt, that's pretty cool, like where can I get one of those? And it was a shirt that she had made for this club called Athletes in Action on campus, which is actually a national and international organization as well, that I knew nothing about. 
And she was like, let me show you that can be a part of this group. So Athletes in Action, I guess, is another thing of a huge way that I was able to kind of develop as a person and an athlete. But Olivia in particular, she ended up being my teammate for six years. She was my roommate for four years. She became someone who is like a sister to me, one of my best friends, a mentor and someone I looked up to. And recently she was one of my bridesmaids. <laughs> so it kind of came full circle. But she was the first person that taught me that sport and faith could be integrated together with each other. She introduced me, like I said, to Athletes in Action. And without those things that she kind of taught me and influenced me towards, I probably would have never lasted in wrestling. I probably would have quit a long time ago because it was it's a sport that can kind of take over. Like anytime you cut to being an elite athlete, it can really take over your life. And so she helped me learn how to be grounded in my faith. And then also was just someone that... At home, I could, we could go and we could talk about not wrestling things if we needed to. We could talk about wrestling things. And then we'd go to practice and I knew that I had uh, someone who cared about me regardless of whether or not I did well. And it was great to have that kind of positive influence every day in the room, but every day at home and a constant person in my life like that. So it's important definitely to have a good support system. We know this with elite athletics, but just in general, it's good to have people you can lean on. And now, Emily, I want to ask you, how did you, in those hard times with training and the the long hours, how did you get through it? What motivated you? What kept your focus in it? When I started out in wrestling, I just loved it. Like, it was so exciting to wrestle. I loved being on the mat, so it was kind of my safe place, regardless of what happened the day going to practice was where I could just have fun and be myself and work hard. Yeah, wrestle out anything that had happened throughout the day and beyond. So as, and when I started out, I just loved the sport. And then when I came to university, when that intensity increased, I think I lost myself for a little bit. My first year, it was just all exciting and new. And then as I started winning things and then as expectations started to grow, it became more about winning and my identity was kind of tied up with wrestling. And that was really hard for a long time and probably would have been why I quit wrestling back in second year of university if I had not been able to change my mindset. And I went to this camp called National Training Camp, NTC, which Athletes in Action runs. And it was there that I learned how to like become uh, intrinsically motivated, uh, how to wrestle as if it's an act of worship for God, how to ground my identity in being a daughter of Christ instead of an athlete. And so it was when I changed my mindset to being, I know who I am outside of sport, then I can actually just do sport because I get to do this sport and I get to enjoy it. And it's a gift that God's given me to be able to worship him and just enjoy it. And when I changed that perspective, I was able to learn again how to stay motivated and stay eager to like work hard and to strive to be successful, but not because I needed to win because it defined who I was as a person, but because I could work hard and I could glorify God on that stage and I could give myself opportunities to grow as a person, develop as a person. And that kind of changed everything for me. And it was after that that I did have some of my biggest wins and continued to be successful in the sport. It allowed me to have a much longer career than I probably would have. Now, mind you, I still don't have a super long career compared to some wrestlers. Unfortunately, I had a lot of injuries the last three years that ultimately led to me deciding to retire, whereas a lot of wrestlers tend to wrestle at the high level until their late 20s, early 30s, and I'm just mid-20s now. 
So it didn't make me last forever, but it allowed me to really learn how to love the sport of wrestling again and to love competing, practicing, training. And my motivation no longer was because I had to win, but because I get to do this sport and this is something that God has gifted me and you get to meet a really lot of great people along the way. So it was just like a win all the way around. The actual wins that I got on the mats just ended up being a huge bonus. And that just made it all much more exciting for me of seeing like what I could accomplish with this new mindset, with this new perspective on sport that I probably wouldn't have been able to do if I had let those expectations and pressures and that sole desire to win kind of crush me. You know what I mean? You definitely see that with some athletes where they're, if that's their main focus, it can cause them actually some performance anxiety or cause them to not do the things that they've practiced. So that's great for you to share. And I've, that's something that I can just even admire from this interview right now is just the humility that you're exuding about your accomplishments. As I listened to them in the bio earlier, there's a lot there, but I love that you're being humble about it and just enjoying the moment and enjoying the victories that you did receive. And now I want to shift to if you had advice for someone else who maybe was in your boat in university, trying to make the national team, trying to get to that next level, maybe they're in high school and they hope to be a varsity athlete. Maybe it's not in wrestling, maybe it's another sport, team sport. What would some of your advice be for that person? It's funny because it wasn't hard for me to stay humble about wrestling, particularly because I was in a room that there were so many successful people that were way more successful than me. So I find it funny now as I'm like retired, as I'm starting my new job in coaching and people list off my accomplishments as if it's a big deal. And I'm like, oh, I guess I did accomplish some stuff, but I didn't really realize it. <laughs> so I guess something I could tell younger up-and-coming athletes is Try to focus on just allowing yourself to develop and surrounding yourself by people that want to also achieve similar goals as you. In terms of choosing a school, I wanted to be in a room that I felt was a good fit for me and being able to elevate my wrestling to the next level where I would get that support from coaches and teammates. And I got that at Brock and I loved it. I loved my experience there. Now, as I'm kind of transitioning out of Brock, I'm working at other schools now and experiencing other rooms. I see that they also offer it in different ways. And so for high school wrestlers, I'd say if you're going to wrestle in university or for high school athletes in general, Make sure that you go to your the schools that you're kind of looking at. Give them all a chance and see which one of these do I feel like I could develop my skills and would be a good fit for me. Yeah, because I didn't think I was going to end up at Brock and then I went there and it kind of completely changed my mind. And I would say for, I've talked to other people, other athletes in different sports of, yeah, I didn't think I was going to go to the school, but I went there and when I was training with them, when I was talking with the coaches and the other athletes there, it kind of seemed like a really good fit. So choosing the right school is not the be-all, end-all, because I believe that it's not entirely about which school you go to, but just like surrounding yourself with good people. I guess another thing I would say is be willing to go outside your comfort zone. Definitely, especially in wrestling, training is uncomfortable. Moving away from home, it's uncomfortable. Having new coaches can start out uncomfortable, but it's in this uncomfortability that is where growth tends to happen. Another thing I'd say is having a support system is so key. And I found that in teammates. I found that through various mentors, through my family, through my church family, through Athletes in Action. So wherever you end up, just make sure that you're developing a support system there that can help you. And I would suggest getting people outside of your teammates as well, because teammates are great. <laughs> but if I allowed myself to be only in the wrestling world, I found myself got into a bubble and that was a little bit stressful. So broadening my support system was pretty helpful for me. 
And then finally, I guess something that I learned, I wish I'd learned a little sooner, is that your sport and your success in that sport can't be your identity. So for a while, that's where I was. And like I said before, it, it nearly crushed me. And so through Athletes in Action, I could change my perspective on sport and reset my identity in Christ. And I guess for someone that might be a non-believer, you'd have to find another place to ground your identity and not sure what that would be. But definitely for myself, it was in Christ. And I honestly think that was the biggest thing that had to change for me. And it made the biggest difference in my career and my success. And then even into my retirement of being able to transition smoothly out of sport. Yeah, Emily, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing a bit about your own faith journey and what you've been through and uh, sort of the advice that you have in terms of having a support system, having a certain view of identity as well. And I know you're not the only person on the podcast who's talked about identity in sports. So I think that's really cool that that's a theme that's coming up. And you hear that more and more as different athletes talk about mental health as well and just wellness within their journey of sport. So thanks for sharing that. We're going to move to segment two, day-to-day life. Something that I find very interesting is what your day-to-day life would look like as a student athlete. You got to balance school. You were studying education and wrestling. So how did you balance that? What was a typical day like? And then maybe if you could talk about a tournament, what would that look like as well? So my life throughout university was kind of crazy. (laughs) I think that looking back, I probably should have got more sleep. Um... (laughs) That might have helped with my sanity a bit, but it definitely challenged me and helped me to grow as a person. One thing that I did that not a lot of athletes in university do is take a full course load. I was in concurrent education, which uh, was a five-year program, four years of undergrad and one year of teacher's college all kind of combined into one. After I got accepted, they switched it to a six-year program. So essentially, I had the choice of doing a full course load and kind of getting through it, or doing reduced course load, but being switched into the six-year program. So then it would then become seven years. So instead of five years, I'd be up to seven. And I didn't want that. (laughs) So I decided to kind of just put up with it, take summer courses when I can, and be really, really busy. And then I was a little bit crazy on top of that because I decided to join some clubs and lead athletes in action at Brock for a few years. So that was even more time commitments on top of that. For varsity athletes, sport becomes kind of a full-time job. I guess in general, what my day would look like is, especially during the kind of peak, I guess, of university, would be to get up pretty early, sometimes even at 6 a.m., and then there was days that I wouldn't get home until 10.30 p.m. During the entire day, I would be busy, so I'd wake up, I'd probably grab a snack on the way out the door, hop on the school bus and go straight to a technique practice, then I would do a strength and conditioning practice, I'd spend the day at school going to classes, doing some homework, eating some food, and then I would go to another practice for wrestling. After practice, I'd usually have class or some meetings to get off to, whether it was this one group I was called in that was called Brock Leaders Citizenship Society or leading Athletes in Action, etc. And then finally, I'd get to go home at the end of all those meetings, and it'd probably be pretty late, and I'd have some dinner and maybe watch some Netflix or do some homework. So my days were pretty busy, and... After a while, I learned I had to slow down a little bit. And I think especially since retiring, I've really slowed it down to the point that my husband is like, who are you? (laughs) And so just kind of readjusting on being a normal person again and trying to find that balance once more. So 
I guess as a student athlete, I was full-time in school, full-time in wrestling, and part of various clubs, which was great because I learned a lot about leadership skills. I learned a lot about discipline and kind of getting stuff done. And then I said to be really efficient with sleeping for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if you recommend the no sleep routine, but you got <laughs> you got things done there, which is great to hear. Were those was there a lot of other preparation in terms of you were, were you practicing every day was there was there film as well that you would watch of other wrestlers in your division how would that work Practicing would happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. Sundays I took usually unless we were at a tournament as a rest day and kind of reserved that for church and things like that. And then Fridays was a little bit of a lighter day. We usually have weigh-ins for tournaments on Fridays. So if you had to do any cardio, that would be a day to do it. You could do a technique practice on Friday. So I wouldn't say that it was three practices a day every day. It was usually about three practices a day, four days a week. Fridays was a little lighter. Saturday was usually tournaments or um, match practice. And then Sundays was off. So we did have a little bit of rest that was incorporated into our schedule, which was very necessary and needed. Did you have to do a lot of off-the-mat preparation in terms of video and studying of other wrestlers? Or is that something you just went to the tournament and you just looked at that person as opponent number one, opponent number two, vice versa? Yeah, so it kind of depended. For me personally, and I wouldn't say this is the same for every wrestler, but personally, I would do a lot of scouting just leading up to bigger tournaments. We could have tournaments almost every weekend in our on-season, I guess, in-season. So I wouldn't do scouting for every tournament like that. Mind you, you would probably see people at the tournaments week after week and just kind of tweak things throughout. So what I would do is I would have my matches filmed and then during our technique practices is where you get to work kind of one-on-one with coaches on particular things that you need to work on. So that's where we would bring in what we thought we needed to work on from the tournament. Sometimes the coach would say what they thought we needed to work on and then kind of tweak things from week to week. Leading up to bigger tournaments like OUAs, U-Sports, Nationals, things like that, that's when I would do a lot of watching tape on other wrestlers that I knew was going to be my weight class, kind of figuring out what do I think their strengths are, what are some weaknesses that I can try to take advantage of, what are some things that I'm good at that I think will work well on them, and just being prepared for what they're going to bring to the mat. A lot of that's kind of done on your own, and then when you have questions, you go to the coaches, you meet with them, and do that as well. But I guess tape is probably pretty huge for team sports. I know that they'll have like a film practice or whatever for, I don't football, know. I don't know other sports basketball. that well. <laughs> yeah, those are big. Those are definitely big. Football especially, you spend a whole week preparing. You do a lot of a lot of game film and it's a big chess match. And I know wrestling is too to a certain extent just individually. So that's where that question came from. So it's a lot done individually. I know some of my teammates at university would watch film constantly. I didn't <laughs> particularly feel the desire to do that, but when it was important, I definitely made sure that I was watching enough film to be prepared and to know what my opponents were going to bring so that I could be successful. So a bit different than team sports, I'd say, but kind of depended on who you were as a wrestler. And I guess at the end of the day in wrestling, you can watch tons and tons of film to be ready for your opponents, and I think that is important. But at the end of the day, you also got to be ready to just bring your techniques and your offense and execute. So, yeah, it was a mix of kind of being confident in your own skills, your own technique and preparation, but also being ready for what they're going to bring. Sweet. Thanks for sharing all that prep. And so you've prepared for the week and now you're moving to a tournament day. Let's say it's OUA. So that's uh, provincial championships. So what would that day look like for you in terms of wake up and all the way to the end? 
tournament days, I think, vary from person to person. For me, I know that I can have a tendency for performance anxiety, and I experienced that a lot in second year of university. So I kind of tried to develop a rhythm where I would be focused enough that I was ready to compete at my best, but also not too focused that I was overthinking about every little thing. So I made a practice of always listening to worship music while I was warming up for tournaments. I probably looked like a fool because I tended to like dance really badly when I'm listening to worship music and warming up. But that was something that just kind of helped settle my mind and make sure that it was fixed on the right things instead of just I have to win, I have to win, I have to win of just being present and ready to go in one match at a time. Uh, Throughout the day, what happens in wrestling tournaments is you go in, you warm up at the very beginning, you do your big 45 minute warm up and then there's a lot of breaks in between that you just try to like cool down and then you warm up and then you cool down and then you warm up between matches so there's a lot of that making sure you're trying to refuel I wasn't great at being able to eat on tournament days so just trying to find things that I could digest quickly and easily and then just ready for each mat so try to listen to some more worship music and be by my mat side ready to go warmed up and just mentally in a good place did you ever feel like while you're waiting for a big match that you would ever psych yourself out or you tried to keep yourself in that neutral headspace going into a match? Like, try not to be too high, too low, that kind of thing. I wish I could say the second. (laughs) I think any athlete can say there's going to be a point that you psych yourself out. But I think just developing routines allowed me to get to a point that it wasn't so much up and down. And I knew what I needed to do if I started getting psyched out. So I would oftentimes find Olivia or one of my parents and ask them to just like pray with me if I started getting too out of my head and just overthinking everything, kind of psyching myself out, just so I could kind of reset again and come back to a place of just being kind of level-headed. And even just finding my coach and just talking through our game plan, he was pretty good at reminding me to breathe. Uh, if I was just really getting into a bad place. But every time that I would step out onto the match throughout, I guess, from after NTC, which was after second year on, I'd always go into the middle of the mat and touch the center circle and then kind of point upwards. And that was my personal like focus point of being able to say, like, God is my center. He's the reason I'm here. Really, this match doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And that allowed me to kind of stay focused right up into the point that we start the match and regardless of what happened in warm-up regardless was going to happen I knew that being able to ground myself in my faith in that like one two seconds of remembering that was something that really helped me to kind of stay a little bit more stable-minded not to say I was perfect at it (laughs) work in progress work in progress (laughs) yeah just finding things that help you to stay calm stay relaxed and what to do when you're definitely going to psych yourself out So, okay, how do you get back to being level-headed again? Just being prepared for all scenarios. For sure. And would you say when you received that bronze medal for for doing well at the Commonwealth Games, that your routine that day was any different than you sports days? Or the tournament, did the tournament look any different? Or was it kind of similar? (laughs) That tournament was, I mean, I could spend hours talking about that tournament in particular. So it was different because of something I'll touch on quickly, but similar in the sense of the mental stuff and being able to like focus in and stay steady was so huge that day. And the reason why is because in my second match, I dislocated my collarbone and it was a day that I think I had five matches. I think I had five matches. So I dislocated my collarbone in my second of five matches and continued to wrestle the rest of the day, even through the bronze medal match. 
So my warm-ups was kind of just really quickly seeing, okay, what is going to be way too painful and what can I actually do? And turns out it didn't matter what my prep was. I still did the painful things in my matches anyways. <laughs> but it was, it became that, that mental stuff, that mental prep and focusing in and staying level-headed became way more important than any physical preparation I could do for matches because I couldn't physically prepare for my matches because I was just in excruciating pain. And so I was super thankful that I had in previous tournaments kind of gone through that mental prep for tournaments in smaller ways so that when it came down to that tournament, I was able to do that there and just be mentally prepared for the matches when I knew physically I wasn't overly strong. <laughs> yeah, and shout out to you for, for winning that. I know that you've now since retired so uh, things are looking a little bit different for you, but recently married to my friend Josiah, so congrats to you both. And we're going to move to segment three here, some misconceptions. I'm sure you've heard some misconceptions either about the sport of wrestling or being a student athlete. Could you share some of those, what some people might say about the things that you've done and why they might be wrong and, and some things to speak some truth into it? Sure. I guess the one I always think is funny is how many people think that I do like WWE type wrestling, which is the stuff they show on TV, which in my opinion is very fake, not real wrestling, <laughs> especially as a wrestler and realizing what it takes. I have some mixed feelings on WWE wrestling, but that's another story. I have one funny story about this. I was in a seminar in first year of university. And it happened to come up that I was a wrestler. And after class, this one girl came up to me and said, her and her family are huge wrestling fans. They watch it on TV all the time. It's so cool that I'm a wrestler. And I was like, oh, you watch it on TV? She's like, yeah. I was like, so you mean WWE? She said, yeah. I was like, oh, I don't do that kind of wrestling. That's fake wrestling. I do real wrestling. <laughs> and she was so offended. She was like, no, it's so real. We watch it all the time. You don't even know. I was like, oh, okay. And she never talked to me again throughout the rest of the seminars that we had for the rest of the year. So but... you made yourself an enemy there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize how much you could offend someone in saying that. So apologies if anyone listening gets offended by me saying that. Just my personal opinion. So yeah, a lot of people that I tell that I do wrestling, I have to clarify that it's not the wrestling I do on TV. That one I just think is funny. I kind of laugh about it. One that I don't find as funny is how many people think I'm mean and aggressive and wrestlers in general are mean and aggressive. I don't think I'm an aggressive person I, outside of wrestling, even inside of wrestling. My coaches would always tell me I need to be more aggressive. But outside of wrestling, I think I'm generally a nice person. <laughs> so people, whether they mean it or not, sometimes they're even joking around that they better watch what they say around me because they wouldn't want me to hurt them. For starters, like, I'm not that kind of person, and I would never attack someone off the mat. And secondly, some of the people that say it are, like, 200-pound men. Like, you could just squash me. So I don't know what you're so worried about if I was an aggressive person. <laughs> and I think, like, Josiah, my husband, he gets a lot of those jokes now, too, of just people telling him he better not get out of line or I'm gonna, like, beat him up or something. And, like, that would be spousal abuse, and also I couldn't beat him up because he's also pretty athletic, so... <laughs> <laughs> I figure those jokes must get old for him, but he takes it pretty well. He just laughs about it. <laughs> no, that's good. That's funny. Those are definitely some main misconceptions. And would you say there's anything you didn't know about being a student athlete or wrestler until you kind of got there? Because you had an idea in high school with OFSA, but things must have been different when you were in university. So what were some, maybe something that you learned that you didn't know about before? I think 
something that my mom likes to say, kind of sadly, I think, is she didn't realize that when she dropped me off university, she'd never see me again. <laughs> now, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Like, she would come to all my tournaments and visit me often. But I guess something that I didn't necessarily realize was just the time commitment that being a varsity athlete is. It really is a full-time job, um, whether you see it as a job or, or not, because it just takes up so much time. And even when I wasn't wrestling, I was thinking about wrestling and thinking about maintaining my weight or if I needed to do extra cardio or if there was something that I needed to tweak to make sure that I was ready for the next tournament. So on the mat, off the mat, it was so much time thinking about and doing the sport. And mind you, I loved it the majority of the time. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. But it was a lifestyle. So a complete lifestyle change from being a high school athlete to being a varsity athlete. And it was a full-time, all-year case scenario. So in the summertime, I trained just as much as I did in season, if not sometimes even more, because you have more time not doing schoolwork yeah, exactly. to be able to commit to wrestling. So it was definitely adjustment. But like I said, I'm so grateful for it. I wouldn't have not done it if I had known how much time it would be, but I was just surprised, I guess. <laughs> And we're going to move now, Emily, to rapid fire. I know I didn't prep you before this beforehand, so hopefully you're ready here. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, name your top three sports teams and athletes of all time. Oh my gosh, I'm the worst sports fan. I just watch things because I like to hang out with other people and I like watching sports. All right, well, you can share that too. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, I grew up watching hockey, so I love watching hockey. Um, my family was Toronto fans for the most part, so I guess I'm a Toronto fan. Yeah, lifetime of disappointment, I know. <laughs> yeah, so my husband, he's a big Oilers fan because he's from Edmonton, so he doesn't like that I was a past Maple Leafs fan. But yeah, I like watching basketball. I used to play basketball, too. I don't know. I like watching sports. I don't follow one in particular. <laughs> Do you have any athletes you look up to, maybe? And, and maybe it could be a wrestler or just other sports in general? I guess kind of cliche in the wrestling world, but Tanya Verbeek, she is a multi-time Olympic medalist. She was one of my coaches on the national team and was also, because she lived in Niagara, sometimes in the Brock room. So just being able to look up to her as a high school wrestler and then have her as one of my coaches was really cool. Of being able to see someone who's so successful, so driven, so mentally tough and just had done the things that I had hoped to accomplish was pretty cool. So she's a huge role model and inspiration for me, and I know she is for a ton of people in the wrestling world just because she is such a now a big name of being one of the top coaches in the world, I would say, arguably, and being a female at that. So pretty exciting to see her be so successful, and I do really look up to her. Awesome. Anyone else that you uh, look up to, or are they all just a blur at this point? I'll say Olivia Tobacco again. She's a pretty high-level wrestler. I love her. <laughs> there you go. All right, you heard it here first. We're going to move to a non-sports question here. You have one last meal to eat on Earth. What are you drinking? What are you having for an appetizer, your main course, and dessert? Can I just have dessert for all courses? Sure. I love desserts. If, if, if I'm that's what baker. you would like, sure, you can do that. <laughs> no, but if I had to pick a meal, I'd probably say a really great steak with... Some baked beans and corn on the cob on the side. Oh, amazing. For dessert, I'm a huge fan of cupcakes, but you definitely have to have some ice cream as well. Maybe throw in some brownies. Definitely a fan of anything chocolate. There you go. <laughs> and uh, are you drinking chocolate milk then or what? <laughs> yeah, I could have some chocolate milk. Also, maybe some Dr. Pepper would be a good mix for that. Oh, lemonade with a steak dinner. Lemonade for sure. All right, there you go. 
So another make-believe question here. You're, I'm giving you the chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You're allowed to book any band or artist in the world of all time, in like all of history. You got to pick three and the order in which they play. Okay. We're going to start off with Jack Johnson. I have loved him since I was a kid. And I went to one of his concerts, like an outdoor concert in Toronto a few years ago, and it was amazing. So he's pretty chill, I would say. So he'd be a good starting artist. And then next, I really do like Tori Kelly. She's a Christian artist, and I just really enjoy her music. So I think she'd be a good second one. And then to end it off for Big Bang, Ren Collective is my favorite band of all time. These are all current people, I guess, but those are the people I listen to the most. So probably those are the ones I'd want to have. We'll go with it. It's all good. Ren Collective, I've been to two of their concerts, and it's an amazing time. And I always would warm up to their songs when I was wrestling, so they would definitely have to be my main main band. <laughs> yeah, they got the upbeat, uh, folky kind of stuff to get you going, so it's good. Yeah. So what would you say is the best, usually I ask about career, but best athlete advice you've ever received from a coach or from another athlete? I don't know who the first person to tell me this was, but I guess the best advice was it's just wrestling. It's just a sport. And for someone who kind of went through all the ups and downs of performance anxiety for a while, remembering that this is just a sport. It's not my life. It's not life or death was something that just helped me to put things in perspective a little bit more of just realizing that it wasn't my life on the line. It was just a match. And that gave me some freedom in realizing I can go out because this is not who I am. This is just something that I do and wrestle probably a lot better than I would have if I had made it worth the world, I guess. Sounds good. And last question. We'll see if you can answer this one. If you could be any position on any team in any sport, what would it be? So, for example... I would be the starting quarterback for Michigan State University. That, like, if I had all the talent in the world, I, that's what I would choose. So, what would you choose? You could also be individual sport, too. That's fine. Oh, okay. I think, like, when I was younger, I used to play basketball, like, travel basketball, and I kind of got cut, I'm pretty sure, because I was too short. And that ultimately led to me being able to pursue wrestling full time. So, it worked out fine. <laughs> when I was younger, I was like, oh, one day I'm going to play for the Raptors and be like a point guard. And I was not that great. I had a terrible shot. But maybe I would say a point guard for the Raptors because I wanted to be a basketball superstar. <laughs> there you go. Point guard for the Raptors. Be the next Kyle Lowry. So that wraps up our show there, Emily. Thanks for joining us. If our audience wants to find out more about you or your journey, where can they find you? They could probably message me on Instagram, emily.shafer2. It's private because I've gotten some weird messages in the past, but I promise I'll look at it, and if it's a valid question, I'll probably answer it. And there was a blog, wasn't there, Emily, that documented a bit of your journey as well? Did you want to plug that? Sure. So my friend Marie, she has a blog and asked me to kind of write something up based on my Commonwealth Games experience. So on my Instagram account is a link to the blog. Um, just talks about finding freedom on the mats through my wrestling journey. I'll leave all that information in the show description. So if you want to check that out, please look at the show description. So Emily, once again, thank you for your time. Do appreciate you coming in and sharing about your life and being vulnerable with how your faith has impacted your sport and how you're now enjoying retirement. So it sounds kind of funny because you're in your mid-20s enjoying retirement, but just retiring from sport, not from work. 
still lots of life to live, but excited about this next phase and grateful for the one I had. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Derek Marquez, professional baseball agent. Hear a story of how he became a professional baseball agent and what it means to have a player-centered approach. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commentating highlights on YouTube at the channel Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace!